It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Here's some tips for maintaining your Trex deck. Um... Occasionally wash it with some soapy water or a pressure cleaner. Trex composite decking is low maintenance and won't fade, splinter or warp. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91. You're on SENZ. This is Mornings with Smithy. No Smithy this week. He's over in Australia for co- uh, for the cricket course, uh, the Chapel Hadley series. He's part of the commentary team over there. So uh, you got me in the hot seat this week for Smithy. And joining us out of the UK from Sky Sports is Ben Ransom. G'day, mate. How are you? Yeah, really good. I think um, in this part of the world, as you can imagine, I mean, we're only in the first week of September. But the fact that we're already five uh, games into the Premier League season, um, going on for six now, it's just... Um, yeah, it's been a breathless start, really, with the World Cup. Everything kind of has come around really quickly. Yeah, it has, it's, it's progressed at pace, all right. And I, and I think one of the good things this season that we've seen, and probably something we didn't anticipate, well, most people didn't anticipate, is how close things are. You know, just three points uh, covering the top five after half a dozen games. Yeah, um, I think especially after a couple of games, because, you know, Manchester City started really well, didn't they? I mean, they didn't have the longest pre-season and they started fantastically well. And then we saw other teams dropping points. I mean, look, Liverpool on the opening day, for example, Manchester United starting so poorly. And then Arsenal were the ones who set the pace. And then all of a sudden, things would just all come back together, which is what you would expect. Um, but yeah, what it, but what it does is it means that already at this early stage, it feels quite exciting. And especially when you... I think what that comes from is the fact that because Liverpool and Man City have set the bar so high in terms of number of points, all the teams know, for them to be in contention, you have to have such a good run. You can't afford to drop many points anywhere. So when those big teams drop those points, it just gives a little bit of an, of an inkling of an idea that all the others might be able to just kind of capitalise and stay in the race. Yeah, I, th- I feel like there's two stories there of what you talked about. You, you know, we talked about Liverpool dropping more points. I mean, they've, they've really had a poor start to the season and their midfield looks negligible. Uh, but City also dropping points uh, yesterday against Villa. Uh, I think those are great storylines. But I think inversely, you flip that and you think about two stars of yesteryear in the England team, Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard who have really struggled in their managerial careers so far uh, and desperately needed results on the weekend and both got them against the two leading teams. Yeah, exactly. I think, um, I think yeah, look, I think actually Frank Lampard at Everton's not done a bad job particularly. He's had a fair bit of flack, don't get me wrong, and I'm not quite sure why. Um, there's been a few, a few poor performances, I think. I don't think they're playing perhaps the fluid style he'd want. But look, he, he's using what he's got. They... Have obviously had. He's trying to get mould the squad into something that he feels can be better than last year when they only narrowly managed to stay in the Premier League. Um, so he's getting there slowly. They look a bit more defensively sound. But actually, having watched the Merseyside derby, I thought they gave Liverpool a bit of trouble, which was which was pretty pretty impressive and a big step forward for them. Really, I mean, let's be honest. They played every game until this one without a striker. So you know that's tough for any team, let alone Everton. Um, 
and I think you're right. I mean, Steven Gerrard, likewise, has been, he's been under more pressure, I'd say, this year because Aston Villa have spent big again. They've backed him. The owners have backed him for, you know, for last season and this season now. He's put a lot of stock in someone like Philippe Coutinho, who has blown hot and cold and then has obviously got himself injured as well. So there was a lot more expectation, I think, on Villa to kick on this season. And the fact that results up until this weekend have been so poor has really led to a bit of a clamour and a concern that they're not going in the right direction. But then, exactly what you said. I mean, to get uh, the result they did at the weekend against the, so far, all-conquering Manchester City team is pretty impressive. To limit them to one goal, to limit Erling Haaland to one goal, given he's already scored 10 in his opening six matches of the season, uh, is pretty remarkable. So, yeah, I mean, it was a good weekend for both managers. And I think it does just show that even at this early stage, you just have to take a step back and remember we are only six games in. Do you worry at all for Liverpool, um, given their start? I mean, Nunez doesn't really seem to have settled yet, I, and I know the three-game suspension won't have helped, but they've got injuries in midfield. Um, you know, Thiago is still not back. Um, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain is obviously the love child of Darren Anderton because he never seems to be fit. Um, and then you've got, you know, Milner and Henderson who are workmanlike but don't really offer a lot in terms of being able to unpick defences. Yeah, I mean, I do worry for them. I think losing Sadio Mane was always... I mean, I felt it was a slightly odd decision uh, to let him go for such what seems like such a small amount of money. What was it? Around 30-odd million pounds to buy Munich. Now, I get the idea here in that they were... They, they realistically... I think wages were a big thing here. They could realistically only keep one of Salah and Mane in terms of their wage structure. We know that they obviously prioritised Salah because they offered him that big contract, which he has subsequently signed. Um but Mane last year was it possibly the more, certainly the second half of the season, had a better season than Salah. I mean, he creates so much, but he's so important the way their front three has played for a number of years. To take him out of that is a massive, massive loss. And they've not been able to replace like for like. I mean, I don't know how you can replace like for like, really, because Mane is one of the world's best at doing what he does. Um, so, yeah, look, I mean, Nunes coming in, He's done okay. I mean, getting himself sent off was just stupid against Crystal Palace. But look, he's done okay. He looks fairly threatening again against Everton. He looked the most likely possibly of the Liverpool players. But he's a different player. And they're going to have to change the way they play, which is such a big ask when you're not able to get that system in shape in pre-season. And then, as you rightly point out, all those injuries in the middle of midfield, I think, have just got them so far off being able to challenge Manchester City. What they need is other teams to suffer similar kind of injuries. And, and you know, that that's unrealistic probably to expect to happen to the same degree. So in that sense, I do worry. And I do just wonder whether they're going to be spending all year just trying to make sure they're in and around the top two, three, four. So that next year, when they finally get to get a midfield target, someone like a Jude Bellingham's coming to the centre of midfield, then they can actually kick on again. But until then, it might be a slightly... I think... They'll, they'll do well. There'll be games like the Bournemouth game where it all clicks, but there will also be runs and matches where I think we do look at them and think they're struggling a little bit. Yeah, Turo Mallow seems a weird, uh, well, it seems a pa- bit of a panic buy, and it, and it feels like maybe Jurgen Klopp's got a bit of man management to do with Naby Cater too, because it feels like those two have fallen out. Cater, he doesn't trust Cater, and uh, you know apparently Cater wasn't on the bench the other week, and he wasn't injured, so there's something else going on behind the scenes there by the sounds of things. I think, as is often the case, when you get to, you know, it's been a very intense cycle for Liverpool. Like they, you know, their mountain, their Everest was winning the Premier League title after so long, wasn't it? The fact they conquered that um, in in the way they did, uh, beating Manchester City to it, who have been, you know, the standout Premier League team 
him in the last, well, I mean, definitely the last 10 years, but realistically, the way they played, the way they've raised the bar, possibly you could say one of the standout teams we've ever seen in this division. Um, Liverpool conquering that Everest, all the celebrations that came with ending that long drought on the wait for a trophy. Obviously, it was always going to be nigh on impossible to defend because we know how difficult that is as a thing. But then, yeah, just refreshing and reinvigorating this squad now. They've all been there so long. It had been quite settled. Jürgen Klopp, obviously, the, the owners are not willing to throw the sort of money at, at it that other clubs are. You know, they spent big on Nunes. But Manchester United, for example, have eclipsed them again in terms of their spending. And they've been largely unsuccessful, haven't they, now for getting on for the best part of a decade. So it's a, it's a tricky situation for them. They're obviously trying to keep things fairly balanced. And without a big sale, because, you know, 30 million for Mane is not really going to cut it, without getting that big revenue in, they're going to struggle, I think, to compete because Man City, to be fair to them, they actually made a net profit, not only in this transfer window, but in this calendar year. And that's pretty remarkable when you consider it's a season when they've signed one of the world's best, if not the world's best, number nine. Yeah, you're not wrong. I was I was listening to something the other day. Somebody was talking about it, and it's, I think something that's flown under the radar is that Erling Haaland actually only cost fifty one million, uh, which in the grand scheme of things isn't a lot considering they spent more on Kelvin Phillips, a holding midfielder who hasn't played a minute yet. So uh, I think they've done some really good business there. Uh, we should also talk about Spurs, mate. They they got a win against a Fulham team that have taken points off Liverpool this season and have looked very dangerous, looked competitive, looked like they'll probably stay up. Uh, not too many talking about Spurs, but under Conte, they've seemed to have been able to drop the Spursy tag, and they've got a bit of uh, a bit of fight in them. They do. I think Steele is definitely what he's added, and that belief. Um, I do think you know Antonio Conte speaks a lot about the squad and where he thinks they are. And he was saying, wasn't he, last week that he he still sees them needing three transfer windows before they can legitimately be title challengers. So that's obviously not this season, not even next season, but the season after is when he thinks given if he gets all the resources, then he'll be able to get them up there. But whether he'll still be there by that point, I don't know. But look, I think they are very much in contention. They're, they're, you know, that best of the rest tag is really up for grabs this year because I do think City is still the standout. But Spurs, Arsenal have also thrown their kind of names into that ring as well. Chelsea, I, I mean, I'm not quite sure what's going on there in terms of their recruitment. That does seem a little bit scattergun, to be honest. Uh, and also Liverpool. And then, you know, you never know, under Ten Hag, certainly in recent games, maybe Manchester United will be able to get in that mix as well. In which case, you've got a really, really intense battle. Because if you, you know, if I throw all those names at you now, or the kind of best of the rest tag, I think realistically, it'd be so difficult to pick who's going to be the best out of that. Tottenham have got every chance. Look, they're quite settled. Conte is a, a winner. We know that. They're improving. They're on upward trajectory. Whereas perhaps you could argue Chelsea and Liverpool are maybe just at the moment just struggling to, to keep that forward progress. So in that sense, they're closing the gap. You know, Son and Kane, when they're firing together, are absolutely brilliant, aren't they? We've seen that over the last couple of seasons. And defensively, they look more sound, which has been a big problem. You talk about that Spursy tag. And it comes down to those big games, those big moments when they've just lost the plot conceded silly goals and you know not got results where needed and likewise in games against the likes of Fulham where it's quite tough and quite cagey and they're putting the back foot a little bit getting over the line getting enough goals to outscore the opposition so I think there's a lot to be encouraged about at Tottenham yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, we should talk United as well. A big win for them today. Beating Arsenal 3-1 at Old Trafford to go with a 2-1 win over Liverpool as well. Um, that's kind of put a marker down, hasn't it? And and it was interesting to see you know, an unbeaten Arsenal. This was their first big test. And while they probably played the better football, they didn't win. 
I actually, I mean, look, I felt a bit sorry for Arsenal with regards to their, their goal, the Martinelli goal, because look, technically by the letter of the law, it was a foul in the sense there was contact on, uh, I think it was Ericsson, wasn't it, that went down and then ultimately uh, they went and scored. But uh, I mean, uh, the rest didn't blow up for the, it at the time. And that phrase, clear and obvious, just seems to have been completely taken away. VAR should always been about not overruling the ref and not refereeing by kind of robotics. Um, it's not about the minutiae. It's more about, did the referee see it? Did he deem that challenge was enough to be a foul? Not just contact, because football is a contact sport. Was it enough to be a foul? Now, look, there will be Manchester United fans listening to this, maybe yourself, who go, well, come on, it was a foul. And look, as I say, if the referee has given it as a foul in the first instance and he sees it that way, absolutely fine. But because he doesn't, I personally, I do struggle with that notion that there was enough in it just to go, do you know what? There's a little bit of contact. That's definitely what I saw with my own eyes from 20 yards away. Very clearly, I got completely wrong. No, there's there's a feeling and there, there's a reason why he, he doesn't give that foul initially. So that's the difficulty I have with that. But look, that's not the point, is it, here? I think what the point you're making is that Manchester United got a really important win. They backed up the result against Liverpool with a victory over Arsenal. And I think that from their point of view, they are building belief. Anthony came in. Players like him have to start well. We've seen players start and continue. Bruno Fernandes, case in point, comes into United, does really well. He's been a talisman for the last couple of seasons. We've seen players come in with big price tags, I suppose. Angle Di Maria, those kind of players come in and it doesn't really work. And that's it. You know, they're unhappy. They end up leaving. Anthony had to start well because he's not a player that comes with a massive reputation and a massive track record of big numbers. I mean, his stats in in the Eredivisie in Holland are not great in terms of number of goals and that kind of thing. But he is a player who's improving. He's clearly a player that Eric Ten Hag likes. The fact that he scored um, in his first appearance at Old Trafford is really big for him, I think. That'll give him the world of confidence. And I think, actually, there was a lot to like about some of United's attacking play. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with, uh, disagree with any of that, mate. I, I, think, I think you're bang on. I think even Paul Scholes said he thought it was soft. Um, I, th- I think the thing is with VAR is they need to be playing these things back to the referees at full speed rather than slowed down because slowed down, there's two hands on Ericsson's back, sort of back of his shoulder, and there is a pushing motion, and that made it look worse than it probably was at full speed uh, when they slowed it down. So I think yeah, you're onto something there. But yeah, from a United point of view, 3-1 win over the Gunners, bank that, move on, and uh, four wins in a row, United looking up the table rather than down, which is, which is positive for them. Hey, before uh, before we let you go, mate, Leicester City, um, with the talent they've got, they are bottom after six games, only one point. They've just conceded five at Brighton. First time Brighton have scored five in the top flight in their history. Something is rotten behind the scenes there. How long's Brendan Rodgers got, do you think? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. You're spot on with what you say about something behind the scenes clearly isn't right. Um, and you can look at the transfer business, can't you? They were the only club for such a long time not to have bought anyone. They sold players. I mean, Fafana going obviously fairly late on in the window has not helped them. Um, there was obviously a lot of speculation about Tielemans. He is still there, but his contract is up in the summer. They're lacking numbers. Kasper Schmeichel going, you know, he's been a massive part of that dressing room. Big characters have gone out of that dressing room. And clearly there was something not right. Vardy got taken off in the previous game. And there was that kind of look between him and the manager of kind of like something, you know, he didn't look quite a happy camp, whereas Vardy's normally been the man that everyone's been kind of obviously building the team around. Then he was dropped, then he was brought on in this game. Obviously, by that point, the game was pretty much gone. But, 
yeah, something isn't right. They're conceding way too many goals. The likes of Madison, I mean, Harvey Barnes is the shadow of the player he was a couple of years, or not a couple of years ago, you know, in the last season even. Um, it's it's not great. And the fact they've started so badly and Brendan Rodgers must be looking around his team and thinking, where, who am I going to select? I've tried changing it. I've tried dropping Vardy, as I say, the talisman. That's not worked. I've tried different systems. I've tried different shapes. Yes, they do have favourable fixtures to come. But, you know, it doesn't get any easier next week because they go straight into a game against Aston Villa who have now got their, you know, their best result of the season. Then they're away to Tottenham, which is a really tough place to go, as we've already discussed. And it's only then does it start to ease up with the home game against Nottingham Forest. But by that point, they could be adrift. And all of a sudden, that's a derby, don't forget. That is a, you know, that's an East Midlands derby. There's going to be so much on that game. And all of a sudden, there's so much pressure on Brendan. And someone made a good point. I was listening to a radio phone show uh, in this part of the world. And one, one of the ex-pros, I can't remember who else, was just talking about Brendan. and just saying, look, with regards to Rodgers, everyone talks about him being this uh, master tactician. But how many of the players has he got in that squad? Has he actually improved? How many can you legitimately say have got better while he's been there? I mean, I suppose... James Madison is probably the only one really that springs to mind for me. He's got more consistent, but that's about it. And that is a worry because when a player, a manager with such a reputation, let's not forget he was being linked with the Manchester United job not that long ago. When he's struggling in such a fashion and he's not being given any help by the club in terms of resources, in terms of transfers. Yeah, I mean, that combination does not bode very well. I think, unfortunately, Brendan Leicester are seeing those results on the pitch, aren't they? Yeah, they are indeed. He is the favourite in the sack race now with the bookies in the UK. I uh, wouldn't be surprised if he walks, to be honest, because he doesn't look happy. And uh, the fact that I think he only got to keep a third of the money they sold for Farner for to reinvest says that maybe, you know, the owners are looking to sell. Maybe they're just trying to, uh, you know, sort of cut some costs and uh, we'll see what happens on that front. Hey, Ben, thanks very much for coming on, mate. Always good to chat. Go well. And uh, we'll catch up with you soon, eh? Yeah, good luck this week, Ricardo. Big shoes to fill for you. Massive, mate. Massive. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.